He stood up before them all and said, Up to this time I have called Pietro Bernardoni father, but now I am the servant of God. Not only the memory, but everything that can be called his I will restore to my father, even the very clothes he has given me. And he rent off all his garments except one, and they saw that that was a hair shirt. He piled his garments in a heap on the floor and tossed the money on top of them. Then he turned to the bishop and received his blessing, like one who turns his back on society, and, according to the account, went out as he was into the cold world. Apparently, it was literally a cold world at the moment, and snow was on the ground. He went out half-naked in his hair shirt into the winter woods, walking the frozen ground between frosty trees, a man without a father. He was penniless, he was parentless, he was to all appearance without a trade or a plan or a hope in the world, and as he went under the frosty trees, he burst suddenly into song. and welcome to the These Days Podcast. And thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate our we community sure of, do. of uh, listeners. And uh, this is Ben and Dwayne. Hello, this hello. is your first time. Uh, and uh, we love to talk about stories of uh, the resilient way of Jesus, meaning uh, how uh, Christian history has gone through the ages and learned some things that have some very up-to-date uh, and very relevant um lessons for us yeah. in these days. Yeah. Yeah. So, these days and those days. Yeah. And so uh invite you to uh you know check us out on uh Patreon uh and uh Instagram. Instagram is um at at we'll be going, we'll be going now. now. Yeah. No apostrophe. <laughs> and <laughs> and and the Patreon button is right there. Isn't yep. that right? Yeah. Yep. And how would they find us on Patreon if they just went to Patreon? Oh, just page? search for These Days, The Resilient Way of Jesus. Okay. I think we're actually These Days Pod on there. Okay. These Days Pod. Sounds but you, um, you could also, uh, if you subscribe, if you support us on Patreon, you get access to all kinds of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get our after-party episodes. Oh, yes. Which Hope- are called... We'll be staying now. Yes, <laughs> and hoped you uh, uh, you know got to hear the first one. Uh, it's yeah. it's out there, and you you no matter when you uh, sign up for that, and I think it's as like little as like five bucks a month or something. Yeah, yeah, like that, yeah. Right? yeah. It's yeah. pretty pretty low yeah, amount, yeah, and you can yeah, get access yeah. to all the We'll Be Staying Now episodes, and you get uh, some swag. Yep. Yes, and and uh, we'll hopefully be able to get some advertising going and that sort of thing. But yep. anyway, uh, Ben. I would love to know uh, what that. I'd love to know what a hair shirt is. Okay, so why don't you tell <laughs> so us about shirt, that? Open a hair shirt <laughs> is a piece of cloth that was worn by ascetics, like people who were in into um, doing putting their body through difficult things for spiritual it reasons. Sounds itchy. It was very itchy, and it was woven from hair, Ugh. or in some cases, it was basically a the 
the the skin of an animal with the hair side in. Oh, so it was very itchy and uncomfortable. So it wasn't like somebody cut somebody's hair. And no, 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 no. It was like sure. animal hair woven okay. into a shirt. So All it was right. basically something very uncomfortable and itchy, and it was to like um, punish their body or be be hard on their body for spiritual reasons. Okay. And in the in the eleven hundreds, when that story that I read took place, this was quite com not quite common, but it was like something that the spiritual. Um, the spiritual giants did. It was something okay. that, like, if you if you were really serious about faith, you might do some some sort of aesthetic thing like, like this. Pietro di Bardoni. <laughs> Pietro, I love that name. Di Bardoni was actually the father of someone we're talking about today. It's Bernardoni. Bernardoni, thank you. Yeah. What did I say? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Pietro di Bernardoni uh, was was the father of someone we're going to talk about today, um, who's who might be familiar to some of our audience members. Mm. A person named Saint Francis of Assisi. Yeah, Saint Francis of Assisi. Perhaps, yeah, maybe outside of biblical characters, mm-hmm. might be the most famous saint in church history. Uh, probably. Yeah, and uh, currently we have a pope. Who has taken the name Francis mm-hmm. after Saint Francis of Assisi, mm-hmm. and uh, Saint Francis um, is also known uh, pretty pretty far and wide as somebody who maybe more than anyone else ever was really committed to living exactly as Jesus lived, or 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 taking the uh, words of Christ very very seriously. In fact, I was reading. In the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, of all places. Oh, really? It said this, Probably no one in history has set out as seriously as did Francis to imitate the life of Christ and to carry out so literally Christ's work in Christ's own way. Wow. That's a secular That's encyclopedia? Source. Yeah. Saying hmm. that his whole thing was, whatever Jesus says, I will do it, and I will do it exactly as Jesus would do it. Hmm. So he... Uh, is a titanic figure in the history of the church. And that story I read was about kind of a turning point in his life, and it was from the biography of St. Francis of Assisi, written by friend of the podcast, G.K. Uh, Chesterton. Oh, uh, big G.K. Who's hanging as a little Christmas bauble on your That's lamp That's right, right, right next door here. Listen yep. to this. See there, he there he is. There he is, right there. <laughs> there he is, wow. Just, just like an angel, the, wow, the bell yeah. rings. Yes. Little, mm-hmm. little soundscape. Mm-hmm. Every time we mention GK, the okay. bobble dings against the lamp. GK. There you go, see? <laughs> yep, just like that. So uh, so this biography of St. Francis is actually one of the best known and just the, the best ever biographies of St. Francis. And it's written, what I love about this is so often when people write about Christian Figures they write from a secular perspective, hmm. which is well and good and fine. Yeah. But it's interesting to watch somebody who is deeply committed to their faith and very intelligent about their faith talk about history. Yes, and apparently he wrote this, Dad. He wrote this mostly from like his, just memory. Like he had learned so much about Saint Chester Francis did? over time. Yeah. Really, he just dictated most of it from wow. just what he already knew. Oh my God, no, wild, and it's yeah. highly accurate. That's a yeah, it's a great book. It's a big book and a great book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he. Uh, so St. Francis, um, I should say, is a highly mythologized figure. So as we talk about mm-hmm. him today mm-hmm. and kind of learn some things, um, it's hard to determine what's f- uh, fact and what's myth. Mm. But um, but some things we know for sure. For example, he was born in 1881 or 82 in the town of Assisi, which is in modern-day Italy. It was in okay. the province of Umbria or the kingdom of Umbria at the time. Is it still a town? Yep. Yeah, okay. you can go to Assisi. Mm. And he was the son, like we said, of Pietro di Bernardoni. Berna- Bernardoni? Yes. yes. Yeah, yep. Who was a cloth merchant. And then um, his wife was Pica di Bernardoni. And mm. Pica might have been from France. Interesting. Which is actually... She had an Italian name, though. 
Yes, but mm. this, this is actually very significant that she might have been, been from France. So, mm. so her, so Pietro is out on a, um, a trip, a business trip to France mm-hmm. when Francis is born, and his oh, mother gives really? him the name Giovanni. He's christened in the church as Giovanni. Okay, and his father gets home and changes his name to Francesco because which, of France. Is that France? France. Okay. Yeah. So to either to honor. His experience in France, or his wife's heritage in France, or something that was second. Yeah. Yeah. So Francis becomes Francis, and he's educated as a young boy in Latin. He goes to school because you know he's middle class family, cloth merchant. Yeah. Uh, Educated in Latin with some French, and he quickly becomes obsessed with French culture, especially the French troubadour culture, which was like these love poets. These uh, that would go around with like little lute things. Yeah, courtly love songs. The tradition of courtly love is born at this time in France, right? Okay. And so uh, he's he's kind of a he's kind of a artsy um, sort of uh, kind of a ladies man kind of a ladies man mm-hmm. yeah right and he, he so he often would speak sing and write in French even though apparently he wasn't very good at it <laughs> so he he basically wanted to be a troubadour he just said I'm I'm going to go to France and become a troubadour when was that like great a love poet was that like a profession you could make money at yeah. It's okay. like it's not like today. It's not like yeah. today, Dad, okay. where all art, artists are treated like garbage. Okay, gotcha. Back in that yeah. day. Oh, I'm sorry. Back I asked in that question. day, we oh, were okay. we were considered <laughs> great people to have okay. around and to support. Yeah. All musicians um, out there were not making fun of you. It is so hard they, to make a living. They uh, so he he wants to go become a French troubadour, and he's just obsessed with all this French courtly love poetry and stuff that's coming out of France. Um, and apparently he's kind of a vain young man. He spends mm-hmm. a lot of his parents' money on fancy clothes and raucous parties, and he's kind of like always preening and stuff. And mm-hmm. he's kind of his charisma and his style and everything become he becomes sort of one of the leaders of the young men in a CC. Sort of a dandy, a dandy, very much a dandy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in in twelve o two, he goes to war because that's what all young men did. And he, there's a there's a uh, war between the city states of Assisi and Perugia, and so he uh, he fights in this war and he's held captive for about a year. Wow! And then upon his return, he falls very very ill, which is the first of many illnesses. He becomes very very ill often through his life. His, it turns oh. out he has pretty poor health in general oh, wow. all through mm-hmm. his life, and he um, he becomes very very ill. And so you see this like. Um, this young man, pretty vain, taking on the world, wants to be a troubadour. He goes off to war, and pretty quickly he gets kind of knocked down. He gets mm. captured, and then he gets sick, and he's he's pretty. Um, his life sort of halts, which is significant because some things start to happen uh, after this that maybe you get the sense maybe wouldn't have happened without this sort of like pause in his life. Mm-hmm. So he tries to join another battle, and on his way there, he's turned back by a vision. Um, in this vision, God basically tells him that he's destined for a new and different kind of knighthood. Oh! So he turns back, and this is the beginning. This moment, this period of his life, these few years. This is like a, while he was riding on the horse or a knight or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So there, he's got fancy new armor and mm-hmm. silk and with mm. jewels and stuff that his dad bought him to go off to war, be okay. a soldier. You know. Yeah. So, so um, this vision marks this period of time where he starts doing these crazy, radical things. Wow. So this is the first time we see him start to, starting to act like, quote-unquote, saintly. Okay. So on his way back... This he, is like out of the blue. Yeah, he has this vision. But he's been sick. And all. He, yeah, okay. he has this vision. His life's kind of been off course anyway. And he's finally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm finally going to go mm-hmm. back on track. But then he gets knocked down by this vision. And on his way back, he gives away his armor and the silk to a beggar 
Mm. And then he takes the beggar's clothes in exchange. So he comes home to Assisi dressed in beggar's clothes. Oh, wow. Uh, and this vision apparently had that profound of an effect on him. He, he spends his time at Assisi praying and living in caves mm-hmm. in the forest outside Assisi. So he's mm. like already living off, like just out in the woods, just praying, kind of a hermit. Well, his parents must have been terrified. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he starts at one point, he gives away all of his family's bread to oh. people who need bread. Oh my goodness! Um, he he's he was. What did they eat? Uh, I don't know. Wow. He was famous when he was a young man for his repulsion. He was well known for his repulsion of lepers. Like they would just mm-hmm. repulse him, he would mock them. Mm-hmm. And so there's a story then about him uh, touching, not just touching a leper, kissing a leper. And then when he turns back, uh, he walks away, and then when he turns back, the lep- lepers vanished. So hmm. he, you know, it's Christ in disguise is the is the oh, story. Oh, I right? see. Okay. So. Uh, so he starts doing all these very, very saintly things. He goes on a pilgrimage mm-hmm. to Rome, and he he begs with the beggars outside St. Peter's Basilica, and he just becomes very much like what you what we start to see as, you know, this is St. Francis. Mm-hmm. And you can just imagine the people in Assisi, or maybe his parents, and like, outside of town, there's all these woods and hills and caves, and our son's out there living somewhere and apparently praying... <laughs> <laughs> just like giving away stuff to to people who are in need and that, like what a what a crazy reputation to start to be building. So he's doing all these things anyway, but then he has this defining moment. And that's what we read about. Hmm. So what happens is he has this vision of the ruined church of St. Damien outside Assisi, and God tells him in the vision, "Rebuild my church." So Francis hmm. takes him literally. Okay. And he takes a bunch of his father's cloth and he rides a horse to the nearby town of Foligno, and uh, he sells everything, including the horse, and tries to give the money to a priest to use to rebuild that church of St. Damien. Wow. And the priest denies, is like, this isn't your money to give, like, no way. But his father, of course, Francis' father, is livid. Yeah. So he brings him home, br- tries to bring him before the civil authorities, but uh, but Francis won't go. He's yeah. basically saying, I'm under no authority but God's. Yeah. So then his father brings him before the bishop for trial. And before anything was said and any accusations were made, Francis just starts taking off his clothes in front of the bishop. Oh, my. Until apparently, like, some people say he was just down to his hair shirt, like yes. we read in that story, yeah. or that, that version of G.K. Chesterton. Yeah. Some people said he got completely naked. Yes, But he I gives that one. everything, he puts everything on his father, like, in a pile before his father, and then he just, uh, the a bishop apparently is amazed and gives Francis a cloak, hmm. kind of a beggar's cloak, Yeah, and then he just goes off into the mountains, and by all accounts, he goes off singing. Yeah, <laughs> back to his troubadour days. Yeah, so he's just well. He's, see, I I heard that he was a very. I mean, that the sort of the the word on the historical historian street is. Yeah, he was very lucky not to be, um, you know, brought up on charges. Yeah, yeah, uh, for heresy and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's because that's that was later, happening. Yeah. And the, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's true because a lot of these like radicals were just considered crazy men right right and well, you could see why people would think that yeah well yeah he was pretty running crazy. around naked and singing pretty crazy <laughs> right so but you get this sense this moment gk Chesterton describes this as this moment so you see this vain young man who's living the high life and he's brought as low as possible people think he's crazy people think he's stupid he's got mm-hmm. an illness mm-hmm. he can't he, you know he can't even uh he doesn't do well in battle he gets captured so basically his reputation and his vanity is just shot to pieces and then this this further like moving lower and lower and lower as he encounters all these beggars and like lives on the street and lives in the mountains and 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 is sort of an outsider and then you get this sense of he finally like the last thing that he has to renounce is his 
money from his family, his clothes from his family, and and just his relationships with them. You know, because his father's mm-hmm. not pleased with his choices to no, be right. a crazy, crazy wild saint man in the mm-hmm. woods. Mm-hmm. So, so he just gives everything back and he renounces the last thing. You get the sense that like he's really freed himself. He's like, oh, oh wow. wow, I'm free. Mm-hmm. I'm free of all worldly attachments now. I'm just going to go off singing, la, 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 you know, off into the mountains. And so he goes up into the mountains, and instead now of trying to find money to rebuild the Church of St. Damien, you know what he starts to find? What? Stones. He so starts to literally find stones? stones and by hand rebuild the Church of St. Damien. Wow, like, does he pick up a stone, go all the way back, and then go back out into the river? Yeah, oh, yeah he, so he's, he's gathering stones. Like he doesn't have a cart or something? I don't know, maybe, he's, but he's gathering stones to rebuild the Church of St. Damien because wow. the vision said, rebuild my church. You know, he must have been pretty strong. I know, he? right? Yeah. So anyway, so he's doing this, and he's living in the mountains, and he's being a prayer, a man of prayer, and he's kind of a hermit. And then he, in uh, 1208, he hears a reading at Mass. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's in the Mass, and here's a reading that's in Matthew where Jesus instructs his disciples to go into the world and proclaim the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's where Jesus says, As you go, preach the message. The kingdom is at hand. Take no gold, no silver, no money for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff. For the laborer deserves his food, and whatever town or villa you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay with him until you depart. And according to his first biographer and and one of his disciples, Francis's disciples and Francis's first biographer, Thomas of Seleno, this was like a big moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, Francis declared, that is what I wish, that is what I'm seeking, that is what I want from the bottom of my heart, is to go do that for Jesus. Wow. So because Jesus said, take no money, don't take two tunics, don't have a staff or a sandal, apparently he removes his shoes, gets rid of his staff, puts on a rough tunic, and begins to preach repentance all over the region of Umbria. Mm-hmm. He just like becomes a street preacher, and he has no authority. He's not a leader in the church. He has no, he's just a lay person, but he has this poor man's tunic, which he... Uh, puts on it's a brown tunic and yeah. then wraps a, a rope around as a belt. Wow! Which is what we know of as the habit that yes. Franciscans wear to this day. Oh, that's right. right? The brown tunic with the yes. rope as a belt. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he he does this in answer to that Matthew passage mm-hmm. where Jesus says this. So within a year of that time, he has followers. He has eleven mm-hmm. followers. Eleven. Yeah. Wow. And in in and so they're all just they make, take these vows of poverty and they just live off of whatever people will give them. They're not they they've made this rule. They're not allowed to accept money, mm. only like bread and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they just preach in all the city squares and they preach about the kingdom of God. And Chesterton makes this inter- interesting point. He says that all this is happening at the tail end of what we would sometimes call the Dark Ages. Oh, right. And he says that that um, Francis is sort of like the dawning of the light. at the Like Francis, as a person, is sort of the dawning of the light after the Dark Ages. Who says that? Chesterton. Okay. The idea that the, that the previous few, few centuries were a time marked with barbarism, paganism, mm-hmm. and like all these, all these, the collapse of society, right? Yeah. Like re- yeah. truly like apocalyptic in the, in the popular sense of that word. Yes. Truly like Armageddon style few centuries there uh and then emerges saint francis who is uh rebuilding the church which is what the the vision said to do wow so he writes a simple rule of life in 1209 Mm -hmm. uh this is the first order of saint francis and um the couple of the big things uh, well first of all the the order says that the the order's purpose is to follow the teachings of our lord jesus christ and walk in his footsteps Mm mm-hmm 
So it's all about we just want to very simply do what Jesus said. And the other one of the other things it pointed out was um, the, this idea of poverty, and the Francis early Franciscans would call poverty their great lady, lady oh, poverty, okay. and would talk about being married to lady poverty. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, that poverty was a big thing that Rule talked about. Chastity was a thing that Rule talked about quite a mm-hmm. bit. Um, and then in the following year, twelve ten. Um, the Franciscans, or as they're called, the Friars Minor or Lesser Brothers, <laughs> like oh really? <laughs> they're yeah. like humble, humble little uh-huh. guys, the little brothers. Yeah, um, are finally given a r- official recognition as a religious order by the Pope, which yeah, is a I, big deal. I heard he went to the to all. Everybody was being turned down. Yeah. In fact, not too long after that, they made a law against orders. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, that he he brought his eleven disciples with him. Yeah, 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 to the yeah, Pope. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, at that time, I think it was. 12. I suppose in their brown habits. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was it was Francis and his twelve disciples, just like Jesus and the twelve wow, wow. coming to the Pope. Yeah, and they had done some other like nods to uh, the church by like they were tonsured. That meant they had the bald spot in the middle of their head. Oh wow! And they did all this kind of stuff. And they like shaved that or something. Yeah, they did wow. all this kind of stuff to to conform with what the church thought of as a religious order mm-hmm. because left and right these religious orders that were cropping up were being called heretics. Hmm. So he escaped being called a heretic, and in 1210, they're an official recognized religious order. So then two years later, in 1212, he founds the Poor Clares, which is basically the women, the women Saint, or Franciscans, yeah. um, who, and their leader is St. Clare of Assisi, who was a former noblewoman who took a vow of poverty with St. Francis. Oh, so, okay. so they're the Poor Clares. And then... Much later, about 10 years later, in approximately 1221, he founds a third order. Hmm. And the third order is uh, the Third Order of Brothers and Sisters of Penance, which hmm. basically is a lay order, which is those who can't or don't feel called to renounce their life, mm-hmm. but want to continue being parents or continue um, being priests or continue whatever it is that they're doing, can follow some of the principles of the Franciscans in their just ordinary life. Wow. So St. Francis, at this time, is just gaining followers... But just beyond, in Italy and beyond, just so many followers. It's sort of sweeping all over Christendom, and he starts taking these missionary journeys. He wants to he wants to go to um, the Holy Land oh, to yeah. preach to the Muslims. But well, there's gets, a whole bunch of places in the Holy Land that yeah. have been kept by the Franciscans, right. and we'll get to that in a second. Okay, sorry. so he 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 goes there. <laughs> And uh, or he, he's on his way there, and he gets sick again because his his whole life he's really? getting sick again and again and again. And he again. probably had some bad shawarma or something. <laughs> <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. he uh, so he gets sick, and he has to go back home, and then he tries to go to Spain and gets. I think sh- I think it was shipwrecked, or maybe it was the other no way around. Kidding. I think I think the Holy Land might have been shipwrecked, and then Spain might have been. He got sick, oh. and then uh, so so he, he's, but he still has this dream of preaching to the Muslims. So he hears that the uh, Muslim Sultan Al Kamil is in Egypt, and he goes. He journeys. He actually makes it this time in twelve nineteen. Francis makes it to Egypt, and he meets with. He he goes through enemy lines, and he attempts to convert. The Muslim Sultan Al Kamil. Wow! Uh, you mean that the, the like the the Muslims are fighting the Christians or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh my and, word! And in in his express purpose in this journey is to convert this Sultan and stop the Crusade. Wow! Because they're they're all fighting in the Holy Land, killing yeah, each other. Yeah. And Francis is like, no, we're the things that they were for. They were for repentance, yeah, brotherly love and peace. So he was trying to stop both sides. Yeah. So okay. he so he says repentance, brotherly love and peace. So he goes to try to bring this man to repentance, hmm. tries to treat him with brotherly love and tries ultimately to create peace 
across, like in in the world. Like yeah. he wants the the war to stop. Mm. So he's going to convert one of the people leading one of the sides of the war. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes and tries to do this. And Al-Kamil uh, reportedly was impressed by him, uh, not necessarily converted, but he gave Francis permission to visit holy sites in Jerusalem, which was at that time under Muslim control. Mm-hmm. So Francis and his followers had permission. They were the only Christians who had permission to be in the holy land or be in the be in Jerusalem and preserve holy sites. Is that right? This is why wow. so many of the places we went in Israel. Do you remember this? So yes. many places we went in Israel were run by who? Yeah, the Franciscans. The Franciscans, the, yeah. the uh, you know Capernaum. Yeah, they still wear the brown robe. Thing. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. Abbey of Gethsemane. Yep, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are famous paintings of the Holy Land that yeah. have uh, Franciscus Franciscan friars. The place of tears, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you'll see the people in the brown robe and the yeah. the uh, rope as the belt. Yep. In these in these paintings of all these yeah. holy sites. Yep. The Franciscans um, were huge part of. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think didn't they even uh, didn't weren't they the ones that established the Via della Rosa as like a prayer I journey think so. through Jerusalem? I, that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so th- this movement of Franciscans is actually really. Uh, uh, amazing things are happening yep. all across the world, yep. um, and and yet Francis himself is known to be um, very lighthearted and funny. Oh, really? And he's he's very like um, uh, ascetic, so he like he treats his body pretty harshly for mm-hmm. spiritual reasons. Yeah. But he'll often say like um, he'll often like out loud apologize to his brother, my body. Like, oh, really? he called everyone my brother or my sister. So he would say yeah. like, oh, I'm so sorry, brother body, that I am so hard on you or yeah. whatever. <laughs> uh, I, ju- I just really want to know Jesus more. Oh, shipwreck and it, getting you know? sick and yeah. eating bad uh, hummus or whatever. It, yeah. 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 So it's just this kind of very uh, jo- jovial, frail, very frail, but very um, mm-hmm. kind of charismatic and funny mm-hmm. guy. And uh, supposedly didn't take himself seriously at all. Yeah. He was just famous up to the very end for giving things away hmm. and um and then one of the more famous things that happens to him so saint francis is um well actually let me just let me tell the story this way so in uh 1226 saint francis dies and at this time 45 years old yep yeah, at mm. this time he has a big old uh huge order that's going beyond the boundaries of Italy mm-hmm. and he has a couple vicars or a, specifically one vicar in charge of basically the running of this order yeah and um and this vicar uh as they are getting him ready for burial realizes that um his feet have two wound, have a wound on each foot oh boy and his wrists have or his hands have wounds on each hand mm. and he and he realizes this is a stigmata mm-hmm uh, as in a replication of the wounds of Christ, yeah, a mi- like a mystical. And who is thing. that that sees that? His his uh, his vicar of the Franciscans. Okay, and and apparently two years earlier, Saint Francis had been on a mountain on a retreat on a mountain retreat at, uh, at Laverna near Assisi, okay. um, praying and fasting. Okay, and had this vision mm. of this angel, and Saint Bonaventure describes it this way. As it stood above him, he saw that it was a man and yet a seraph with wings. His arms were extended and his feet conjoined. So that's the sign of the cross, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his body was fixed to a cross. So he's seeing Jesus. Mm. Two wings were raised above his head. Two were extended as in flight and two covered the whole body. So there's a seraphim or an angel covering the body of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The, faith, the face was 
be, uh, beautiful beyond all earthly beauty, and it smiled gently upon Francis. Conflicting emotions filled his heart, for though the vision brought great joy, the sight of the suffering and the crucified figure stirred him to deepest sorrow. Mm. Pondering this, what this vision might mean, he finally understood that by God's providence, he would be made like the crucified Christ, not by a bodily martyrdom, but by conformity to his heart and mind. So Jesus is saying, you're going to be like me mm-hmm. in, in, uh, my, in my moment of sacrifice. Yeah. And then... Uh, St. Bonaventure says, Then, as the vision disappeared, it left not only a greater ardor of love in the inner man, but no less marvelously marked him outwardly with the stigmata of the crucified. Wow. So basically, um, he receives this mystical moment where he actually receives bodily the wounds of Christ Mm -hmm. and then spends the next two years trying to hide it. Hmm. Like famously doesn't want because he's a terrified. Before he dies, yeah, he's terrified mm-hmm. of spiritual pride. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want mm-hmm. to like puff himself up. So yeah. he hides his hands and his feet, mm-hmm. and he always. This is where this is where you know the picture of monks with their hands inside their sleeves. Yes, this is where it comes from because he's. Oh really? He's hiding his hands and his. I sleeves. didn't know that. Yeah, oh. trying to hide the stigmata. So then it oh. comes out, and his vicar sees that this is the case, and then writes this letter that circulates among all the Franciscans, basically saying Saint Francis had this. Um, stigmata, and it just was, was a sign of his great love and closeness to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, St. Francis, uh, there's so many stories, Dad. There are so many stories, right. and there are so many quotes, <laughs> and there's so many things. I, there's so much material because St. Francis is one of the most venerated saints of all time outside yeah, of the people certainly in the Bible. Most, I mean, I, before I knew anything about saints at all, I knew about yeah. him. And what do, what do people usually know about St. Francis? Uh, a lot, well, some of the things we talked about, but they're also... He's often depicted with animals. Have you noticed this? Oh, yes. He's the patron saint of animals and ecology and these sorts of things of nature. Interesting. And uh, it's just super interesting because there's all these apocryphal stories. Some of the strongest legends about him are about animals. Like when he really? when he goes off preaching, you know, when he hears that sermon on Matthew and goes off and becomes a street preacher, mm-hmm. they say he goes into the mountains and he preaches to the birds. To try to convert the birds, and <laughs> then talk back, and then there are these, and you know he's lived in the woods and the caves and the wild. He's a wild man, mm-hmm. so he's got this connection to the natural world. And then there's these stories about, um, for example, there's one village that was being terrified or terrorized by a wolf, mm-hmm. and um, they the, the wolf is eating all their um, livestock, but also like killing people in the village. Wow. So they so for St. Francis comes and he's like, oh, I'll take care of the wolf. I'll go talk to him. Really? And they're like, no, he'll kill you, he'll kill you. So he goes outside the village, and this wolf comes up to him, and they think they're all watching from the walls, and they think that he's going to get killed. Yeah. And the story goes like this. So the wolf and St. Francis, St. Francis starts talking to the wolf, and the wolf slowly kind of like, his tackles go down, and then he trots up to St. Francis, and then walks with St. Francis back inside the walls of the city. And St. Francis goes, oh, I just told him that you guys, um, if he stopped terrorizing you and killing you and killing your animals, that you guys would just feed him. So wow. apparently that wolf from then on would go door to door around the city and people would feed him their scraps and wow. he would leave everybody alone. I would definitely give that wolf of my scraps. Isn't that yeah. nuts? That's wild. Yeah, so he goes... He, and I wonder he what he said to him. Like, did he talk dog talk or did he talk... Like, I don't words? know. Apparently, I mean, there there are people who will try to like tell you i've got this this book here that i'll recommend in books and stuff called the stories of the saints yeah uh by carrie wallace and it's uh it's a bunch of saints is that him on the front i don't think so i think that's it's got a wolf next to it oh it could be um but i i uh i love the story or the way they put the saint francis one it's um oh and uh saint claire is in here too the you know right yeah the version uh the other 
kind of Franciscan order. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, here we go. This is the St. Francis one. The way they tell this story is um, that St. Francis, uh, let's see. He says, uh, Wolf, Francis said, <laughs> you have done a great deal of evil in these parts, but if you will give up your wicked ways, you can come into the town. So he's telling the wolf to repent. The wolf of uh, Jubio, that's the that was the town, uh, will feed you, or the people of, of Jubio will feed you, and we can all live together in peace. <laughs> so he's like apparently reasoning with this wolf. Mm-hmm. So he's known as this like um, this very connected person to nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he al- he also like um, you just he's a very winsome and whimsical person. And in fact, G.K. Chesterton says that uh, you know his early desire to be a troubadour. Yes, it says that he was actually. Um, he, he was actually never stopped wanting to be a troubadour. Hmm. He says this about him. Uh, he um, Let's see. The first fact to realize about St. Francis is involved in the first fact which his story, with which his story starts. That when he said from the first time he was a troubadour and said later that he was a troubadour of a newer and nobler romance, he was not using mere metaphor, but understood himself much better than scholars understand him. He was, to the last agonies of asceticism, a troubadour. He was a lover, a lover of God, and he was a lover, and he was really and truly a lover of men. Wow. So basically saying like uh he he never had he never stopped having this very winsome power for the people around mm-hmm. him and this very uh romantic uh, artistic vision of the world. In fact, many of the writings we have from St. Francis are these great songs or like the canticles, right? We, oh, we right. The, the canticles of St. Francis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he would write these songs and these poems, and they were just—they're just fun. They're just glory, like uh, winsome, glorious uh, praise. I praise you, God, for brother, son, and sister, moon, and oh yeah, yeah, of, yeah. That that's Saint Francis. That's him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you get this sense of a person who um, actually is kind of—you uh, know how Jesus says you have to lose your life to save it, mm-hmm. and you must deny yourself. Yes. I I look at Saint Francis, and I'm like, I don't know of anybody in Christian history, really, who has um, denied themselves to the extent that St. Francis has. Like, you get the sense that early on when he's having that tete-a-tete with his father in front of the bishop, yeah. and, and shortly thereafter, um, Francis of Assisi ceases to exist. And this, mm. this like, Christ living through Francis kind of emerges. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, and it makes him just very winsome and very unworried and very able to be generous and loving to the people around him. Hmm. Uh, so so I, I... Sounds very free. Yeah, like he was set free early on, like from yeah. the the worries and normal troubles yeah. and things of life. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Kind of like the parable of the sower, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I could go. I'm I'm having trouble just landing the plane because there's yeah. so much more to say about yeah. him. But he's just well, such an incredible, incredible figure. Yeah. And I think um, the if you if you do some research, I think particularly if you read that Chesterton book, yeah, um, it'll it'll really inspire you to um, maybe maybe in some unofficial way, become a member of the third order that he established, mm. where you're still in the world, but living uh, according to some of these very appealing and winsome principles that he lived by. Well, Ben, that is really good. And you were like GKC, you know, G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton, there he yeah, is. there he is. Because you just pulled stuff out of your head. Well, I mean, I, people can't see that. that. That's pretty. That's great. I mean, it was a lot of it's on this well, thing, you, but man, there's yeah, so but much to say. You've been riffing for the last ten minutes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's there's so much great. to say. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, are you you want to go one more? Or you got? I think we're. I think we got to land the plane, right. man. I, I guess that's time. That's what time is that, Dad? 
Books and stuff. and stuff. Awesome. Well, I've got some books and stuff. Do you got some books and stuff? I just have one quote. It's not. It's from a book. It's one we've used before. Oh, let's hear the, book, uh, the quote book. book. Uh, remember a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about Tom uh, Holland's book, Dominion. It's a good book. And he's talking here at the end of the book about why he is so fascinated by Christianity. Okay. Remember, he's not a Christian. He's an right. atheist. But a lovable atheist. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> In case he hears, as this. opposed to all him, those other, atheists. I want him to hear them say that because <laughs> uh, I'd love to talk to him. But he um, he recognizes that there's something in terms of this thread through history of the values of Christ coming down through uh, history um, through people like Saint Francis. But look how he puts it together here. Or listen to this: It was the fate of rulers, that is the normal rulers, to be brought down from their thrones and the humble to be lifted up, Hmm. was a reflection that had always prompted anxious Christians to check their privilege. It had inspired Paulinus to give away his wealth and Francis to strip himself naked before the Bishop of Assisi and Elizabeth to go hungry to toil in the hospital as a scullery maid. Similarly, to... A dread of damnation, uh, a yearning to be gathered into the ranks of the elect, a desperation to be cleansed of original sin had provoked uh, from the very moment the Pilgrim Fathers to set sail in the surest, most fertile seedbed of ideals of the American people. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, because that's just that one part of the story there, but he said, he sort of. It weaves all through, down through history. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, something I picked up from the Chesterton book, which I highly recommend, it's just G.K. Chesterton, St. Francis of Assisi, very readable. And uh, it's one of his shorter biographies, actually, that he wrote. Oh, really? Yeah. That's that's short? Okay. Well, this is two books in one here. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So he he, uh, really paints Francis, I think, correctly, as such a perfect example of um, the joy... And the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Oh yeah, uh, you know, in the in um, Philippians two, it describes Jesus as making himself nothing. Yes, and you get this picture of somebody who's just playing, almost playing this game with himself. How much yeah. more nothing can I make of myself? Yeah, and uh, and it's um, it's very winsome, and it ver- makes it very appealing. That is actually. real transformation. I mean, yeah. who, who does that? Yeah, the other um, a couple more, or one more book, and then one more stuff. Um, mm-hmm. The book that I read, that little quote from about the wolf. Stories of the Saints by Kerry Wallace. It's a kid's book. Is it a kid's book? Because it looks really cool. It is really cool. But it's, uh, I I actually, um, I don't think I've ever read this to a kid, but I've read it myself. Very Uh, cool. Very cool illustrations. Amazing illustrations and really good descriptions of the Saints. I think that's St. Francis on the front. It might be. You might be right. There's a wolf there. there. You're right. It's fascinating. And he's got birds. So, um, and the other thing I will recommend is a movie from 1950 called The Flowers of St. Francis. Oh yeah, I was actually, to think of that. a remarkable portrait of Saint Francis, and I really? think very, very nineteen fifty. Um, yep. Wow. Very helpful and very uh, pretty, pretty accurate historically speaking. Um, I have watched it on HBO, but I'm sure you can watch it elsewhere that's as well. Great. Oh, that's great. Well, that's a great cast there, Ben. Thanks for that. Yeah, um, that was fun. And um, you know, uh, I'm thinking right now that I need to go to talk to the coyotes in my backyard. So. I guess uh, <laughs> see how it goes, brother. Brother coyote yeah, and yeah, sister brother. tree. <laughs> yes, we got we've got those. Um, but uh, I guess that means unless you've got something else, nope, we'll be going now.